welcome to the InVivo podcast. I'm David Wild, pharma and biotech reporter for InVivo. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Petra Janser, Senior Managing Director and Global Life Sciences Lead at Accenture. Earlier this year, Dr. Janser and colleagues conducted an interesting analysis looking at roughly 300 mergers and acquisitions executed between 2010 and 2021 by the 30 largest pharma companies. What they found, among other things, was that while mergers and acquisitions of conventional bolt-on late-stage assets remains a staple for these companies, the number of acquisitions of early-stage assets, often accompanied by a biotech platform, has been increasing significantly, and in 2021 accounted for 36% of all deals. Notably, there has been increasing growth in the number of mergers and acquisitions, neither of late or early stage assets, but of systems of know-how, of biotech platforms on their own, and of novel capabilities that allow companies to reach customers faster. Dr. Janser, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for speaking with me about your findings. Thank you very much for having me, David. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Based on what you found, You classified mergers and acquisitions into four types of growth pathways characterized by different types of deals. Can you tell us a bit more about those pathways and the changing trends you've seen over the past decade or so? Looking into our uh, into the deals, as you said, the 300 something deals that we analyzed, we really found four different growth pathways with focus on slightly different types of assets. Uh, And these four pathways were the following. The first one is the traditional one. We call it the builder pathway. It is actually the traditional way of bolstering pipelines by uh, bolt on late stage asset acquisitions. Uh, They are still ongoing. Um, An example of this is actually Pfizer's acquisition of global blood therapeutics. The second pathway is the architect pathway. This describes more uh, how company expand their pipeline across therapeutic areas through early stage asset acquisitions, often associated with a biotechnology platform. So not only an asset, a molecule, uh, but rather a biotechnology platform. A recent example here is Gilead uh, Sciences acquisitions of microbio LTD. The third one, and this is really an interesting one, is the ecosystem pathway. And this comprises uh, the acquisition of know-how and capabilities to really drive and accelerate innovation and reach customers in a new way, for example, through analytics or AI. An example here is the Sanofi Essentia partnership. And then the fourth pathway is very different in nature. We call it the controller pathway. It describes how companies use deals to support their geographic expansion, for example, or vertical integration, such as moving to growth markets or control supply of raw material. An example pathway, uh, an example of this pathway is Merck's acquisition of Exilite. The uh, the analysis showed that roughly 70 percent uh, uh, of these deals uh, have still been centered around. Uh, builder and architect pathways, so around assets and these early stage platforms, whereas 16% were attributed to ecosystem and another 14% to the controller pathway. I'd love to hear more about the growing trend in unconventional mergers and acquisitions of technologies, processes, and platforms. 
How significant is this? It's a significant, um, let's say, development. Uh, these deals are still small in um, in the total number today, but we do think that uh, in the future we uh, expect actually a lot of growth in that area. Uh, and uh, the the ecosystem pathway is really around accessing new capabilities and you know bolstering what companies have. Um, have available actually in their own machinery room, if I can say so. And uh, given that we are looking into a future where we believe that um, many different capabilities need to come together beyond the traditional biology and chemistry, we now need AI capabilities, we need deep analytics um, uh, capabilities. We do need capabilities around, as we said before, completely new platforms like uh, mRNA or protein degradation. And uh, bringing these multiple capabilities together will actually lead to companies employing much more of an ecosystem strategy. Do you have a sense of how companies have integrated these non-traditional assets into their operations and how these investments have been paying off? Well, so one example uh, of a, a very uh, fruitful outcome is, of course, the COVID vaccines. So if you look at uh, uh, the COVID vaccines, you bring together nanoparticle um, technology with mRNA technology, which uh, was not done before. So to me, that really is the prime example of leveraging these multiple platforms and uh, creating in a very short amount of time huge success you know that we never thought as an industry we could do so quickly another one uh, another great example is uh, amgen and the development of lumacross which is uh, uh, an asset in non-small cell lung cancer uh, this is targeting a very specific KRAS mutation of which we all thought that this would be completely undruggable before. But bringing these different platforms together, you know, Amgen was, uh, was able to sort of uh, develop this asset. So these are two fantastic examples of platform technologies coming together and leading to uh, great successes. I think it's a little bit too early to talk about, you know, return on investment uh, of these deals because it's uh, early days. But this convergence of science and technology is uh, absolutely seen as the, the accelerating path to innovation going forward. I just um, this week uh, moderated a panel at the Gallion Foundation with a few uh, uh, large pharma CEOs and unanimously everybody agreed that that is a must path going forward in order to sort of keep uh, driving innovation. But of course, actually, these uh, this shift to bio platforms is not entirely without risk to, to organizations because uh, it is a new way of working, a new way of operating, and uh, pharma companies still, traditional pharma companies still have a lot to learn uh, to maximize value from these. For executives considering a shift in their mergers and acquisition strategy to focus a bit more on these non-traditional assets, what types of changes would they need to make for the shift to be successful? Um, pursuing these bio-platform strategies require uh, really a depth of capabilities in both talent as well as technology, plus an alignment across functional leaders in order for them to be successful. 
the talent needs to be more versed uh, in technology, data and advanced analytics to be able to capture really the value from these bio platforms. And this tech proficiency is required from junior levels in the organization up to the senior levels in the organization to be able to take the right decisions. So uh, we do not only need a biology strategy, but uh, companies really need a technology roadmap for the entire enterprise to capture this value. And uh, therefore, we do need CIO alignment or CTO alignment with uh, the business. Uh, we do need a much stronger alignment between R&D and commercial because many of these platforms produce innovation that is not targeted to just one therapeutic area. Uh, and, you know, business development comes in, as we discussed earlier, on top of all of that to, on the one hand, bring additional innovation in, but also out-license potential innovation that the company has created and is probably not the best owner uh, for that innovation. So all in all, it's a lot more complex. It requires a lot of new skills and it, it requires really a different level of alignment across all parts of the organization. Are there any examples of companies that you can point to that have done a good job at making these types of internal changes? Well, I would say, if you ask me, the large companies are all merging towards that direction. I would say right now, to me, the outstanding examples are, um, you know, the, the uh, COVID vaccine manufacturers and their partners who've really shown uh, in such a short time frame within a year to sort of really bring the not only the innovation together with those platforms and the technology, but also actually get the drugs out to market. Um, my observation is that uh, pretty much every large company is uh, experimenting, you know, in one form or another. And uh, experimenting is probably um, not giving enough credit. I think there's a lot of investments in, in the majority of large pharma companies uh, to get their hands around uh, driving innovation at this intersection of science and technology. And it's not only in R&D. You know, this goes across the entire value chain. So we look at uh, in silico discovery upstream we look at, you know, decentralized clinical trials and uh, doing clinical trial arms, placebo arms, uh, totally in silico. We look at omni-channel in the commercial space and hyper-personalized experiences with, you know, ecosystem stakeholders. And uh, we talk about uh, digital twins uh, in the um, supply chain manufacturing space. So this technology uh, and the focus on technology and bringing technology in, you know, really cuts across the entire value chain. Since you brought up the idea of digital twins, I think it's worth taking a few minutes to touch on another Accenture report that you recently co-authored on the metaverse and how it's playing out in the pharma and biotech sphere. I know there's no consensus definition of what the metaverse is, but one way of conceptualizing it is that it's the convergence of interconnected technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality and tools like digital twins, which you noted in the report and just now is being used in manufacturing. I wonder if you can give us a sense of the importance of the metaverse in the life sciences and how this digital revolution, as you call it in the report, will affect the deals landscape for the next five, 10 or 15 years. 
So I think that's a very, very interesting question, uh, David. If we um, look at what the CEOs are saying, then the CEOs are saying vast majority, like 85% of the CEOs are saying metaverse is going to be absolutely crucially important. They see it as a key priority and in particular augmented reality, they see as something being maybe nearest term. Uh, in its application and the usability of uh, that technology and the metaverse actually associated with it. If we look at what companies are doing right now, there's really across the entire uh, value chain quite a bit of experimentation. If you plot out the companies, you know, where they run pilots, where they experiment, it is everywhere and it's multiple companies, you know, everywhere. In particular, I would say in two areas where we see most. One is um, in the whole engagement space, and that is around talent internally, but also some experimentation on the commercial side externally. But a lot, a lot is internal, um, employee uh, experience, training, and so on, new skills development. And the other area is a little bit more in the manufacturing supply chain and the whole digital twinning is a big topic there. And there we see a lot of experience, a little bit less more upstream in R&D. So the topic is very relevant and a lot of companies are experimenting. What we do not yet see today is deals in the M&A space. We do see partnerships, and I have uh, a couple of examples here. So, for example, Bayer partnered with uh, Pixacore, uh, which is a scientific uh, educational uh, company who is also working a lot with AR and VR um, uh, strategies and methodologies, and uh, uh, that is a quite recent one. And another one that I find very interesting is Sumumito Dainippon Pharma and VR. They really announced a deal around uh, the development of creating multiple virtual reality digital therapeutics, which is interesting. So they, they really try to go uh, to the market. Um, with uh, digital therapeutics to address uh, mental health disorders. And a lot, again, is immersive technologies um, that alter sort of behavioral and uh, have proven effects uh, in, these, uh, in these diseases. So we see a lot of experimentation. We see the first partnerships. And I do think the logical consequence will be that over the next years, we'll see more deals in that space. Well, that's fascinating, and we'll continue to track the evolution of metaverse-oriented deals. Just in closing, what would you say the takeaways of this shifting mergers and acquisitions landscape are for pharma executives who are listening? We just really uh, think that uh, this acceleration that we see right now here is there to stay, and we are just at the beginning uh, as I try to sort of explain also across the entire value chain, we are just at the beginning of a continued acceleration into a very new model um, of how we sort of uh, not only uh, discover, but also ultimately develop and sell new drugs. So for uh, the pharma companies, it is really important that they um, uh, get their organizational setups uh, and their capability sets uh, prepared for this new future. 
and uh, that they also uh, rethink, you know, the way they collaborate across those different departments and the way they really sort of set themselves culturally as well as organizationally up to deal with innovation that is, you know, not coming in a linear fashion into uh, the downstream organization, but uh, so that companies can be open for all sorts of innovation that is uh, that is uh, being developed using these new uh, these new platforms. We also do think that uh, companies should really try and embrace uh, this model relatively quickly because you need to be able to leverage multiple platforms in a bio platforms uh, in parallel and together to get maximum value out of it. And with that, of course, complexity uh, increases. Dr. Janser, thanks so much for sharing your insights today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. For additional coverage of both Accenture reports that we discussed today, and for more pharma, biotech, and medtech news and insights, visit the InVivo website.